I just believe that regardless of when you walk down an aisle, you should be able to look at a product and feel like it was made for you or it's tailored for you or you were thought about in the process, not an afterthought. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews-Okome. So let's get started. Hey, hey guys, welcome, welcome back to the show. It's Nikayla here. And today in the guest chair, we have Cora Miller, the co-founder and CEO of Young King Care Care, the first multicultural beauty and wellness brand for young men. Inspired by her son, she and her husband launched this company in December 2019 with the mission to redefine male grooming for the next generation. Cora has nearly 10 years of experience as a leader in corporate social responsibility, program development, and communications. And previously, she was the VP of External Affairs for United Health Group, where she managed strategic partnerships and evaluation of community investment outcomes. And in today's episode, you will hear how Cora researched and vetted her idea before deciding to pursue it. You'll hear about the strategic moves Cora and her husband made to go to market and land on target shelves within the first year of launching their product and you'll also hear the real financial sacrifices and bets that go into meeting the demand to be in major retailers when you are a young brand so let's get right into it thank you so much for being here walk us through your career path and what led you from 10 years in corporate social responsibility all the way to becoming an entrepreneur I actually, even before I, I went into corporate, I actually started working in education. I was doing kind of school operations. I was doing program development at a university before going to a charter school. So I was definitely in the education space, which is why my husband always says I'm a perpetual do-gooder um, because <laughs> I always found myself in roles and having responsibilities where it was always about community um, and how are we improving the lives of those we serve in the community. So whether it was in the school setting or when I worked at a university, just in campus life with just underrepresented students, it was just how are you building the community and, and contributing to the culture. And then when we moved to Minnesota, oh yes, uh, the snowy tundra um, for my husband's uh, job at the time, I just happened to stumble on this career in corporate social responsibility, um, which really combines kind of my do-gooder nature in terms of, you know, providing support and grant dollars and resources, leveraging the company's money um, to funnel into nonprofit organizations or educational institutions in, you know, key cities across the U.S. So um, that was really, really um, cool. It was rewarding work um, and it enabled me to, you know, travel a bunch as I was meeting with different nonprofits across the country and understanding what their needs are um, and then figuring out how then we as a company, the company I work for, could support them, whether it was through capital or whatever, resources that you know we had at our disposal so I did that and retired from my corporate career as a VP of external affairs before I started working for a young king full-time and that was just in September of last year of 2020. 
Now, you mentioned your husband. You guys are co-founders of this awesome, awesome brand. And before we get into a little bit more about that story, tell us how you guys came to even start thinking about hair care for young boys. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Yeah. So um, honestly, I just, I was totally inspired by my son. Um, They always say having children or having a child changes your perspective. And that's 110,000% the case for me. So I, um, first time mom had a son and I was looking for products to help me style his hair. I wear my hair natural. I know you can't see me, but you know, I wear of course natural and protective style. So I know kind of what to do and what products are out there for me, but I was just interested in what are those kind of clean plant-based products that I could, you know, use for my son that they were made for him. Um, I just think that representation matters and is just so important. And I firmly believe that you should be able to see yourself in the products that you use. And so when I was looking for those products, both just Googling online, going in the store, I didn't see anything for my son. And so that bothered me. And it just was a, a feeling, a, a concern, a why <laughs> that wouldn't go away. Right. Um, uh, just like, why aren't there products for yeah. black boys? Um, not, not only in hair, but when you think about personal care, why aren't there specific products that are representative for boys of color? And so I went to my husband, and thank God he's the marketing you know, genius that he is and has this background of working literally at, you know, with brands. He works you know, at General Mills and Coca-Cola. So he has all this experience. And I was just sharing with him, like, I just, I want to do something. I want to create products. I want to create my own line. And he's like, slow down. Um, he was like, first of all, like, you know, if you really want to make this happen, like, you know, I, like, what's your business plan? Like competitive analysis. Have you looked at what's out there? Like, have you talked to people? Like what's the mark, your market research? And I'm like, Oh, these are all things that I probably should do first. Huh? And so, um, and so I, I did that. I spent months, um, literally coming up with that business plan, coming up and doing research. I interviewed and surveyed over a hundred parents of sons to see if, if they saw the same things that I saw, this gap in the marketplace and understand, you know, what their needs were, if there were products that felt intentionally made for their young male. Um, and so after months of doing that, I, I took it back to my husband and I was like, I did a pitch to him essentially. <laughs> and he was like, oh, this is great. I think you're on to something. I was like, Doc, I told you that. Like, <laughs> I knew I was on to like, men aren't um, necessarily going out there in the product line like we do at Target. Um, right. In, in the aisle for black hair care, right? Like right. That we have a lot of experience going down that aisle, seeing all the brands, seeing the right. targeting. Whereas I don't I don't know. I can't speak for your husband. I don't know what he does, but well, and he's <laughs> bald. Know. Like, let's be clear, my husband is bald too. Right. So well, that, that's <laughs> a whole other layer. Like the the preparation for for our hair versus, you know, the bald hair. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, once he was like, okay, I'm with you, partners, we're on board, um, it was kind of go time from there. 
What did Gold Time look like, Phil? You talked about doing these interviews, so you know there was a need. What was the next step for you? Yeah, the next step for me was finding a research and development partner who could help develop the products. So I am certainly not one of those beauty founders where I'm whipping up things in my kitchen. Like, no, that's just I not was gonna me. ask, like, where, did it start out in the kitchen? How did no. you even know what to put I in I don't there? even like to cook, girl. Like, <laughs> let alone me trying to find products to put together to make work, no. Um, so I knew my first step and, and again, of course, I should say, not knocking anyone that does that. If you have that skill, that talent, God bless you. Of but that, yeah. that just wasn't, you know, my skill area. So I just went about trying to find someone who was skilled <laughs> in formulating products. And I needed a partner that could do it in a way that understood, you know, the positioning that we, I was coming from in terms of it being, you know, more, a little bit more mill forward. Um, but tailored to kind of a younger a consumer. And also, I wanted the product to be plant-based and vegan. That was really important to me to have these clean ingredients and not all of these like just harmful, toxic, you know, ingredients that are found in a lot of our products that we used. Um, so... I just started, you know, Googling just like natural hair care manufacturer, natural hair chemists, like just, just anything, honestly, that I could find. They talked to some people in, you know, on my immediate network to see if you knew someone who knew someone who knew someone. But in going through that process, um, I, I went through a lot of people or companies or groups that it just... Um, the connection wasn't there. Um, they kind of not understanding what I was doing or, um, you know, the, the products didn't perform very well. And that was important to me as well. Of course, um, yeah. And so it just took, a, it took a long time. What's a long time? <sighs> Probably six months. Okay. But in doing all that, found someone who chemist by background, black, woman um, who worked in the natural hair care industry for years and it just worked. Um, She understood. She's like, that is amazing because there's nothing out there right now for boys. I said, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Um, And then we got to work. Um, And of course, it still took a couple rounds because we were testing, you know, the different products um, Mm -hmm. that she developed. And then I was really particular on the scent too, which again, we tested with just different parents in my network to see, you know, do you like this? Is it working? Doing all of that. So I would say from first Googling to finding the partner to actually starting to manufacture the final product, um, it took about a year. Why was it so important to you that you create a brand specifically tailored for Black boys with textured hair? Because some would argue, right, that you can find other products that can work on textured hair and, you know, like you just yeah. use it on, on your son's head. Yeah, but I, I know it's deeper than that. So, so yes. tell us a little bit more about that. You know, for me, it goes back to the, the comment that I said just around this idea of representation. I just believe that regardless of when you walk down an aisle, you should be able to look at a product and feel like 
it was made for you or it's tailored for you or you were thought about in the process, not an afterthought. Um, and I guess for me, it, it's just the same feeling when I, I used to shop for clothes for my son. And I'm like, look at all these rows of girl clothes and like one little section of clothes for boys. Just, <laughs> I, I've been through like, that as well. Like, right, wait a second. Wait a second. Like <laughs> our, our, our boys, our black boys, they have needs too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I thought also about... Um, and even having conversations like with my husband and my brother-in-law and other just men in my life around just this like lack of education when it comes to black men at an early age around just like grooming and self-care. The default, you know, has always been use my mom's pink lotion moisturizer or sporting waves or go to the barber <laughs> shop and cut it off. And I don't even know what a hair care regimen is or let alone skin mm-hmm. or face care. Like, what's that? Like, <laughs> just like we as black girls growing up, hair was important. Yep. We always kept it done. And just like taking care of ourselves, like lotioning um, and, <laughs> and makeup. And it was part of it our- It was part. Um, it was part of our life. I would say our, exactly. our womanhood. That's what we were taught and trained. And it's Correct. funny, I always see people joke on like Twitter about guys using the all-in-one body wash, face wash. <laughs> right, exactly. We, we never. No, we separate shampoo. Thank you very much. Exactly. <laughs> And so I love the fact that you're not only, it's not just a product, you are kind of retraining Black boys and and, and just making them know that it is okay to groom yourself. It's okay to have a regimen. It's okay to, this is part of you as well. Correct. Yes. And it's okay to have this self-care moment that you have for yourself, whether it's doing your hair whether it's, you know, applying stuff on your facial stuff, skin, whatever yeah. that is, that that's okay. And, and in that comes a sense of confidence, right? Um, when you know you look good, you feel good, and you go out to this world with your head held high, um, and nobody can break you or tear you down, nobody. And I just think as, as Black boys growing up, Black young men in today's world and society, that is of the utmost importance. Absolutely. So you had a network, you know, a circle of people who you could test your products on, ask them to test it out on their their children. Um, what was that like when you haven't yet brought a product to market? Do you, first of all, have to assure them that it's safe or, you know, <laughs> how does that work? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's a gamble though, right? At the one hand, you know, they're safe. I'm using air quotes in terms of like, you know, because it wasn't just me whipping up in the kitchen and I'm taking a chance. It's like, I knew it wasn't going to make your hair fall out, right? Yes. Like, <laughs> I worked with a professional, exactly. you know, chemist, you know, license, has all the accreditations, license, like <laughs> safety protocols, like to come up with, you know, products for us to sample and try out. So I wasn't worried about it from that sense. But I was worried about it in the sense of like, how does it actually perform? I mean, you've been there. We've all been there. We have a ton of products that just didn't right. work, like just didn't work. So that was my biggest thing. I wanted to make sure not only did I, you know, obviously just create a product, but I wanted it to actually perform well. <laughs> and there's no point in just creating products for the sake of creating products, right? 
And so that was always like just my anxiousness. Like I just wanted to make sure it worked really well. And so again, it took a couple rounds, but you know, we got there. And then the other thing too, that I, I was really, I don't want to say concerned about, but I thought was really important was the scent because you know, for me, I wanted it to still be male forward, but I didn't want it to be a grown man. <laughs> so think like not you're too Egyptian. musky. Yeah. Right. No, I'm uh, no, we don't need like five year olds walking around smelling like Egyptian musk. <laughs> <My> um, <grandpa's. laughs> right. No. So I wanted, but you know, at the same time, not like, you know, super fruity and strawberry. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and so we ended up based on just the test that we did and asking people like, what, you know, fragrance did you prefer? We ended up with this nice, like citrus scent that's really light, but still felt age appropriate, but not super feminine. And Mm -hmm. so um, we used an orange oil to kind of get that fragrance. And, you know, based on our friend network, trying it out, that's, that's honestly what we went to market with. And thank God people liked it. So walk, walk us through going to market, because this is the exciting part. This is the debut. What was that process like for you guys? How did you go from testing it out with your friends to it's available for sale? Yeah, so we officially launched uh, Young King in December 2019. Prior to that, what we started to do was just, again, leveraging our network, so our community of family and friends, we created our own kind of distribution list of like, honestly, anyone we had ever come in contact with <laughs> that, that was a friend or even a friend of a friend. So we came up with our little just distribution list, which it actually was almost a thousand people on it, to be honest, hmm. from what we just gathered. And that's who we use to kind of send like, hey, we've been working on, you know, this new brand, these new products, um, they're going to come soon. We, if you want to, you know, learn more, subscribe or we, whatever we said, I don't even remember at that time, but that's when we first kind of told people about it. And that must have been like October. I think October was when we sent that first communication out. And we set up our, like our Instagram page or Facebook, like follow us, stay tuned, help us spread the word. So we did that just a couple months leading up until we actually officially launched, but it wasn't like mass. It was just to whoever was in our like network that we started like teasing it to. And then our big kind of reveal to the world was actually not until Um, we did an event. So in Atlanta in December, 2019, they had the Essence Target Holiday Marketplace. And it was like the first time they were doing this event, which was really cool that it happened when we were like launching and we're like, oh, we should do that. (laughs) And so we got a booth there and that was our first reveal to the world. I was like, we were on the main stage. We had just launched, but we were on the main stage wow. uh, introducing Young King. And honestly, that event literally changed the trajectory of, of Young King. That is awesome. 
at this point you had you developed your your branding that we see now because it's so beautiful and i'm sure that that just excites people as well seeing that crown and just your presentation yeah um so again thanks uh, thank god for my husband uh a chief marketing officer over there he helped come up with our packaging design he knew right off bat well, I will say one of our goals when creating the the line is that we knew eventually we wanted to go into retail. I mean, that was the whole premise that in fact, I couldn't find products in the stores or online. And so retail was always a goal of ours. And so he's like, well, we need to design the package right now in a way that it would, if we were to go into retail, that it would stand out on shelf, right? Because um, again, we're self-funding, a small brand. We we don't have time if we got the opportunity to go retail to try to change everything, right? Right, like right. we need to make it work when we launch. And so we did that in terms of just the look and the design of all of our, our packaging. And, and to that point, I think that really helped us stand out when we were at this event because we had leaders from like Target stop by and all these different groups that were there at this event stop by. And they didn't even re- like, they were just so surprised that we were a new brand. I was like, yeah, we just like <laughs> yeah. just launched like last week. <laughs> So good. So how did you manage to do all these things? You know, your R&D, your getting everything ready to go to market, plus the branding without getting stuck in that, oh, this logo has to be perfect. The colors have to be perfect because I see people get stuck in that Mm -hmm. phase for years. Oh, yes. (laughs) No product on the market. Yes, they do. (laughs) Because, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, when it comes to preparing your brand launch and getting ready to release products. It's all just about execution and recognizing that everything doesn't have to be perfect. I think entrepreneurs, we're always plagued with this like inner turmoil about it has to be so perfect when we launch. Um, But I think if you get it 80% there, and again, you have a product that works, you can fill in the gaps. And so honestly, when we first launched, there was so much more that I wanted to do from a packaging standpoint, like (laughs) or all these other, you know, I was like, well, what about these design or what about these bottles? And one, it's like, my husband had to ground me. Uh, We don't have the money for that. Like stop thinking you're in corporate, (laughs) stop thinking your corporate job that you have all these access to resources because you don't. (laughs) And two, like what we have is still good, right? It's not perfect. It's good. And just being comfortable with that. So I think, and I've, I've certainly told other founders, you know, you have to be comfortable in what you have and recognizing that, yeah, maybe later you'll have opportunities to iterate on a design or change something up. But when you first launch, you know, wanting it to be good, make sure the product in and of itself works and everything else will kind of fall in line. It is so easy to get caught up in comparison or thinking that everyone, wow, they came out the gate so great. I I gotta go back to scratch, but being comfortable with what you have, knowing that you will get better is half the battle. Correct. Amen. 
When you launched, what was your e-commerce platform and what was your distribution strategy? So we leveraged Shopify for our e-commerce platform. And the first year we knew we were going to be 100% e-commerce. So 100% DTC. We knew that out the gate because at the time of launching, we had not talked to any retailers. And you know, there's definitely a lead time when you jump into retail. So we knew in our first year of business. So really all of 2020, it was just going to be sold online. But we were um, just blessed and in a fortunate position to be able to have conversations with retailers, not even being six months old. And so that then opened up the door for us this year in 2021. We just launched in Target um, in January, and then we'll be launching with another retailer that we'll announce actually next week. So stay tuned. But (laughs) so this year now our channel mix is, you know, retail and still e-commerce. And when it was e-commerce for you fulfilling this yourselves, like you had a stash in your basement. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Sure was. Again, scrappy. Very scrappy. Scrappy, Uh, You do what you got to do. So yes, um, our home was Young King's Fulfillment Center. Uh, We had a table set up in the hallway of our house with boxes (laughs) everywhere. You know, Cade, our our four-year-old now at the time, we had him sitting there in his little chair playing his games while we were packing orders. <laughs> packing orders on the side. So this we, is the part we, that makes me nervous about a product-based business, but I know it has to happen, right? You have to yeah, start somewhere. You just have to. You have to start somewhere. You have to do what you have to do and you start real scrappy, real lean. Um and so August was when we officially transitioned to a, a warehouse and fulfillment partner. So we did that for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's 2021. Well, so long. again, that's why I, I have to keep asking, what is long? Wait, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Let me take that back. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I mean, it's, it's not long, that long. It's in your house. I, I, I understand. It it would feel long to me too if I was dealing right. it myself. <laughs> right. In the grand scheme, you know, yes, not long. But I mean, I also just will throw the caveat there that we were doing all of this and still had our full-time jobs too. So that's where the that like, is true. long yep. is coming. The long days. Okay. And, you know, have a, a young son. <laughs> and had a whole a whole child. And it's quarantine and COVID. So there was just a lot going oh, on. Oh, my gosh. In 2020, <laughs> there was a lot wow, going wow, on. Wow, wow, um, But we were, again, just blessed and in a fortunate position where... Mm-hmm people started to hear about us. And especially when everything was going on from a social injustice standpoint and uh, everyone was talking about black owned businesses, we, we started to, some eyes were put on us and we actually sold out of six months worth of inventory in about less than six weeks. (laughs) Whoa, whoa, let's talk about this. First of all, the way that surge happened was so incredible. I mean, it was so many mixed emotions, right? Like so much is going on in the world. At the same time, I love the fact that you were able to sell out of six months of inventory. What steps did you take to continue to build that brand awareness? Like people buy, they might not come back to your Instagram page that next day, but how are you keeping people coming back and learning about what's going on with Young King Hair Care and getting excited about your brand and spreading the word? 
Yeah, so one thing that we realized during just quarantine and COVID and kind of getting all these eyes on us, and also honestly, by participating in all these kind of um, accelerator business, accelerator programs, these programs for um, entrepreneurs and black founders, you know, just learning a lot we recognize the value uh, of leveraging digital marketing um, and digital advertising. And so to help kind of keep that momentum, we started doing social ads and Google ads. We also, you know, started to partner with bloggers, um, just gifting people products that came across our page. And we also got a little bit of PR at the same time that really helped us with like all of these kind of just helped with the momentum of the brand leading up through really, you know, end of the year. <laughs> so it really helped us from that standpoint to now focus on kind of digital marketing to get more eyes on us by having that PR support and also um, being able to, you know, gift some bloggers and influencers to help people again, learn more about the brand. So one, with the ads and the investment in digital ads, was there a specific program or is there something that helped you to ramp up really quickly with that? Because you guys didn't necessarily have a background in digital marketing. I know your husband has a background in CPG marketing, consumer product, good mm -hmm. marketing, but was he on the digital side? No, he wasn't. But when I tell you, um, that man definitely, I would say he got more excited about learning the digital side he was in facebook's mad ads manager all day girl like <laughs> he was just like trying he was so determined to just figure yeah. it out because mm -hmm. i mean i i learned so much i think we our eyes were just open into this whole world of social um paid ads um, and just like the algorithms and the strategy and the audience testing. And there's just so many elements that you just would never know if you're, if you had never done it before. And right. so, um, he spent a lot of time just researching YouTube videos. Like <laughs> he was like, Oh, I'm going to learn this, do. do what you got to do to figure it out. Um, and, and it, it was helpful. It was really great. I mean, thank God that now we're in a position where we actually, you know, partner with an agency to help us. But uh, that was kudos to Stefan Miller, uh, CMO of Young King Hair yes. <laughs> for just figuring it out and making it work. <laughs> And what about with the bloggers? Were those people who you said gifting people who were interested? So did they express interest or did you actually compile a list and then go out there and offer to gift them the products? Uh, a little bit of both. Um, so starting out, we worked with a small kind of boutique PR agency who helped us identify some influencer and bloggers. And so we had a list that we started with to be able to do that. And then you know, after we stopped doing, I would say, kind of formal PR in general, I think one thing that it was tough for us to really do PR in, at first during COVID was like, everybody was focused on COVID, <laughs> you know, not necessarily <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. about this young product. Right. <laughs> exactly. So we're like, okay, well, we can stop that for now, um, which it all ended up working out because then organically, you know, we still got a little visibility. But anyways, after kind of 
after we started with initial lift and did all that, then we did have people just kind of reach out, um, DM us or email us and say, I love your brand. I love what it represents. And I, I would always tell them, it was like, well, we're not paying. Uh, so <laughs> if, if you would like to just be gifted and they were fine. Um, okay. so that's been really just amazing, you know, what the brand represents for, you know, celebrating, uplifting, encouraging self-care for black and brown boys. There are just so many people who firmly believe in that, that mission and what we're doing a- around this, that they're just excited to support and highlight it. And, uh, you know, especially all my boy moms, like they're just like, yes, products for our our boys and so you know that's that's where we get a lot of the love from those yeah. those influencers and bloggers that have yes. sons <laughs> it's funny you should mention that because yeah, it's similar to what you said about Cade. Our young king came out with a full head of hair. And, yep. you know, you, you, you never, I've never had a baby before. So I'm not thinking like, um, everyone kept saying like, he has a lot of hair. But I'm like, that's just all I knew. I was like, oh, doesn't every baby have this much hair? Like, but it's only when I look around, I'm like, wait, he has a lot of hair <laughs> compared to other babies. And then when it was time, when he really started growing, it's like, all right, he actually needs a hair care regimen. Like this hair, it's, it's going to get matted or dry or stuff in it mm-hmm. and you're right I started looking around and I'm like what is happening here <laughs> where do I begin because yes I, I love hair all day for myself but when it comes to your kids you have to make sure it's not toxic right and that right. severely limits the options so this is needed and your boy mm-hmm. mom's we are your your target. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and I'm glad you said that because you, again, are like me in terms of, you know, we're used to doing our hair. We know what to do. But I also when you, you know, you now have a child in, the, in this and you have to do their hair, I'm like, I need something like simple, easy, like one, two, three, bim, bam, boom. Right. Just to do his hair. Like I and, need a and, process. And these people, these little, little little humans are fighting us. So we Correct. definitely need something that's going to help us and be able to be as in and out as possible. <laughs> right. And so that was another thing. And that also came out of when I first did my research and um, was uh, interviewing and surveying uh, boy parents. And they were all like, we need a simple process. And so that's why our initial products were a leave-in oil and curling cream to really follow the lock method of styling so that you're you're starting with the leave-in to moisten the hair, condition it, and then you're following with, you know, or you can flip the oil and the cream, but oil mm-hmm. to really help nourish and lock in that leave-in and then curling cream to define the curls. Just like those three steps, you're in and you're out, you're good. So mm-hmm. that's why the, that's why we started with those three products. Now, you mentioned, and I saw that you were a part of this Beauty Accelerator program at Target. What was that? How did you find out about it? And then what did it entail? Yes. First of all, that program is amazing. So I encourage any of your listeners who are founders and interested in ever going into retail, that is a great accelerator program. We found out about that actually at that Target Essence Holiday Market. So 
While we were there, we had the opportunity and were approached by a couple people from the um, Accelerator team who said they were gearing up to launch this program. And this time, the program was going to focus on um, beauty brands. They gave us their card and said, we encourage you to apply and look into it. And I was like, that sounds cool. Like, <laughs> you know, not thinking, you know, candidly not thinking much about it in terms right. of like what it would provide in the experience, but just that it sounded cool. And like, you know, oh my God, to be in Target one day would be so awesome. And so, you know, I applied and I was shocked. I got an email saying we made it to the next round. I was like, oh, okay, we, we in there. Um, and then we did the interview and then I got, you know, the email saying that we we're in and what, when I tell you, we were definitely excited. I was so excited that we got in this program. But then when they shared the list of brands that were accepted, we were like, oh, my God, we're like the babies out of this group. We were the youngest brand. Everyone else had like, you know, thousands of followers. They already had a huge like communities. We were like, how did we get up in here? <laughs> like, was this a mistake? But once we were in the program, and this was pre-COVID, like literally right before COVID hit. Um, so we were at Target headquarters for the first week. Um, they flew us up there, stayed out there for a week to go through the program. And we quickly realized that one, we were one out of 10 out of over 400 applicants of brands that had applied that was accepted. So that was just insane. Wow. We had just launched like three months before that. And two, in talking to, you know, some of the, the buyers and the leaders all in the beauty category, they just affirmed, you know, that we really have a unique position that currently does not exist. There are no brands in the market, in retail, that target black and brown boys. So the fact that we're doing that that's a disruptor, right? That's that's innovative. That's a unique angle. And right. so and who would know better than Target? Like exactly. Out so, there. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh, so we are doing something. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just, it was so validating to be there, learn so much just about what it takes to be kind of retail ready when you think about partnering with any, you know, mass retailer, whether that's a Target, a Sephora, whatever that is, just what it kind of takes. And then really helping us shape kind of honestly our story, because that's what it's all about is what is what is your story and how are you sharing that with con the consumer? And so that that was just, again, I can't talk highly enough about that program and the connections that we made there. Did that program assist with you actually being brought into Target on shelves? So, you know, the, the answer you're supposed to say is like, you know, through the program, they cannot guarantee, you know, placement in stores, right? But what the program did provide, uh, at least for our cohort, was the opportunity to do a line review with the buyer for a category. Again, not all brands and even some of the brands in our cohort didn't, you know, get to go in store, but at least having the opportunity to go through a line review meeting and understand, you know, and, and talking to the buyer about what they're looking for, what's their strategy, how you would fit in the mix, pricing, all of that you know, it's really helpful for us. You know, again, we were fortunate enough that we went through the line review meeting. It was really great. 
you know, work through a few things and ended up where we were just, you know, at first asking, can we do like a small store test? And they were like, actually, can you do more stores? <laughs> so, um, so that, that ended up for us, um, the program providing that opportunity did help us get into the store. Was it intimidating at all at this point? You get in and there's that initial, I'm sure, um, adrenaline rush of yay. But then does it become like, oh, my God, like, how are we going to scale up to oh, 100,000 Yes. <laughs> how do you adjust your business to meet that new demand? Yeah. So the biggest takeaway when you're entering kind of these retail partnerships is like supply chain, right? From an inventory management perspective, from a shipping and fulfillment perspective, like you have to have that all figured out before you dare set foot and sign any agreements, right? And so where, you know, it caused me a little bit of stress and angst came in for uh, me specifically was just on the inventory standpoint and how we and making sure we would have enough products to be able to fill all the orders that would come in from Target um, because you need to ship on time and you need to ship what they ask for. Like no events about, about it. <laughs> right. Um, so you need to figure all of that out in order to meet their, their kind of timelines and windows. And the tension that we had with that is we were still only at the time, you know, six months when we got this um, agreement with Target. And so we had to find a way to pay for inventory because there was uh, COVID happening. There was the fact that we were a new business. So because of those things, we couldn't qualify for small business loans because we were too young. We couldn't qualify for inventory financing because we were too young. Um, and we couldn't qualify for like PO financing because we didn't necessarily have the POs yet, but because COVID um, was causing such a ripple effect in terms of supply chain and manufacturing sourcing bottles, we had to order products way in advance to ensure that we would have them in time mm -hmm. for our first target order. So we actually had to place an order for inventory in July. <laughs> and so with that, it became, uh, okay, how are we going to pay for this? And what kind of investment are we talking about? Like, mm. <laughs> tens of thousands, ballpark, like in the... <laughs> The low five figures, the high five figures, the medium five figures, <laughs> the six well, figures. <laughs> well, so for us, <laughs> um, I would say it was six figures for us. And that's because, so at the same time that we got the Target deal, um, another retailer we were in conversations with too. And so we needed to make sure that we had enough inventory to do both partnerships. We felt like we could do it. It was just the money. And so we, we did what we had to do and we um, took out some personal debt to be able to finance that inventory build. Thank you for sharing that because I mean, I, 
I do believe it will pay off in the end, but this is something we we have to talk about. You know, like mm-hmm. these investments up front are they're huge, they're big yes. they, to meet a demand like a from a retailer like Target. Right, right. And so people ask me like, well, why do it then? And again, I think that's where it comes in. You have to know you know, what your business strategy is before you make any decisions or, you know, enter any agreements. And for us, as I, I, I've said, I knew when creating this brand, I wanted to be on shelves in retail. That was always going to be a part of our strategy. And so if we had the opportunity to do this, we were going to do it. And because of that, we needed to make a way. And, you know, entrepreneurs, we get scrappy. We figure it out. Nothing's going to stop us. Like, we do what we have to do. Um, And knowing that I wasn't going to fail because, again, this whole thing started because of my son and he's my why. We were going to make it work regardless. And we did just that. And it all worked out. So, hey, hallelujah. But <laughs> you just, you just, you just got it. You, you do what you have to do. <laughs> right. Now, you said it all worked out. So let's talk about profitability and revenue, right? Not everyone makes money when they first are starting mm-hmm. out. <laughs> and you made a huge investment, but you said it all worked out. What does that mean? Yeah, no, all worked out in terms of, so our first year of sales, um, we just knocked it out of the park in terms of, I would say we didn't, I didn't even predict that we would hit six figures. Um, and we did in our first year of business. Mm. Um, and that was just through DTC. So that was just e-commerce. So we did over six figures in our first year of business. And then this year with our retail partnerships, we're just seeing amazing week over week growth since we launched. And that hasn't impacted our e-commerce business. So we're continuing to grow on e-commerce and through our retail partnership. We actually just hit, well, now it's our second, but we hit uh, two six-figure months in a row. Oh, um, for, awesome. <laughs> for DTC. Is the business now profitable or are you catching back up to the investment? No, no, we're not profitable because our strategy is to always re- reinvest back into the business. Okay. So, and and because we're also a team of two currently, um, <laughs> yes. yeah, we, we we have to, you know, we partner with, um, we have a whole bunch of different vendors and partners that we work uh, with. So we're just constantly, like, we're reinvesting that back in the business. I mean, we're working on new innovations. Like, there's so many things mm-hmm. that we're just, yeah, we're not profitable, but. You're aiming for that. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> what what advice? Oh, right, right. I mean, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. Of course, everyone is trying to be profitable. Um, For side hustlers who are starting out and are going to have to juggle a business that's just not profitable for some time, how do you plan for that? How do you plan for working in the business as you wait for it to grow? Do you set a timeline like it has to be profitable by X? Do you create projections where you kind of get a sense of when it will be profitable? Like, how do you guys work through that? Yeah, so you do that from the very start. So we not only mapped out like our pricing strategy and model. So what that means from a margins perspective, and kind of from any channel, right? So you look at your margins from a, a DTC versus what your margins would be on a retail. And then based on that, 
and what your sales will look like. You just kind of project out month over month um, what, what you will net out to be and taking a look at your expenses and anything else that would impact your bottom line. So that, that's just basic financial planning <laughs> in general. When you're thinking about how, how you want to model your business and what, what are your revenue channels and what are those big triggers that will come that will increase your profit or what are those big moments like inventory where you know you're going to be tight on cash. Like you always want to look at what that's going to be like for the year. I'll say, you know, in your first year launch, there's going to be a lot of variability there because you just don't know, right? So we were learning every month, <laughs> like every month, our first year of business, you know, you have to modify, you have to change, you have to yes. adjust because you just don't know <laughs> what you don't know. And then on top of that, you know, 2020 was COVID. So just every, right. all, everything was up in the air. So you, you just don't know, like everything we planned out just did not happen in 2020, but we still, I mean, again, we, we didn't even think we we're going to hit six figures and we did. So like, so Amazing. Like, you, just, you, you know, your first year of business will always be kind of a learning. I think you should still have some good models. You should still have some good projections before launching to just kind of plan that out and, and be aware of what's to come. But, you know, by the time you roll into your second year, you have your first year of data that you can do some modeling off of. And so that's what we use to build out, you know, our forecasts, our plans for this year. And even in a little into next year. So we, we tried to do an 18 month model. At what point in your model did you build in quitting your job? Ooh, <laughs> um, so I will say that that actually wasn't going to be in the model for our first year. <laughs> that wasn't going to be in the model for our first year. But because of the craziness, the business picking up, just all these things were happening where honestly, we just literally couldn't keep up anymore. It was time to make that decision. And I'll tell you, it was, it was hard because I, you know, I was walking away from a comfortable career, from a great salary, consistent salary right. that, you know, I'm used to, accustomed to, to now not get paid because I wasn't going to take a salary out of the business yet. Like I said, I'm reinvesting everything back in the business. We're like, I'm just being real scrappy and lean, putting it all back in to grow the business. And so to step away from that so that we could continue to scale and grow the business, you know, that was, that was definitely a leap of faith. But again, I think that goes back to recognizing why, why I was doing this in the first place. I was doing this for my son and for boys who look like him. And so with that, that mission, I knew that I had to devote my full time to this in order for us to be at a place that we needed to be. And so I, I had to call my boss. I let her know. She was like, are you sure? Uh, you want to take some time to think about it? Right. <laughs> oh, and I was like, no, I know I need to do this. Was it harder with, well, one, did your job become remote? And then was it harder to do the side hustling because of the fact that all of a sudden everything was shut down? You don't have childcare and all this other stuff. 
Yeah. So my job was remote, but they were actually uh, at the time when I was leaving, they were actually having us start to come back in the office. (laughs) And so again, that was going to be a challenge because, well, I will say too, that being working from home, I definitely was working, I'd say 10 times as much um, in my regular nine to five job than if I was in the office, just because, you know, I felt like you were just, you're more accessible. I was just getting pinged all the time, email, like I felt I was working so much in addition to try to do the business. So I'd be working starting at 7 a.m., till like 7 p.m. and then try to, you know, doing the business till like two in the morning. So it was getting that pretty crazy. And it's yeah. so messed up that that became the thing because of the pandemic. It's like, yes. leave me alone. <laughs> yes, no, it was a thing. And it, and it kind of, it just got a little crazy too. Yeah. Uh, it got, my, my corporate job got a little crazy, <laughs> to say the mm-hmm. least. So you have that plus the business picking up, like something had to give. Yep. And I'd rather give my all, my 110,000% dedication to a business that I'm building for my family (laughs) versus my corporate job. Now, did you guys decide that one of you would leave first? Kind of stagger? Yeah. Okay. Yep. We definitely made that decision. We we were very thoughtful. So we, we had made the decision that I would leave my job two months before I actually did just so we can, you know, make sure from a, a cash perspective, just personal for us and our family, make sure that we were okay. And, you know, my husband, his job is definitely more flexible than mine was. <laughs> so even the times when I would be working those crazy hours, you know, for my corporate job, he was taking a, a big chunk of just running day to day with the business. Cause again, his job was a little bit more flexible, but he's still also a director. So his work was picking up too. So it was just like, it just made sense for him to still stay doing what he does, what he loves to do. And then for me to just work full time on the business. You know, I I hope that this encourages someone else out there. Like you can do it. It's not going to always look pretty in terms of like the, the financial investment or, you know, having to leave maybe your job before you were ready for it, but it will pay off. And so now, before we wrap, I would love to do a lightning round. You know the deal. You just answer the very first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Okay, I think I'm ready. You got this. (laughs) All right, let's get into it. Number one, what is a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? So I participated, I'll say, in a lot of uh, different various accelerators and programs, but a group that I always receive information from that has great just webinars and they share resources all the time is the uh, New Voices Fund. I would strongly recommend to subscribe to their newsletters. There's always just something that, you know, they're sharing, whether it's like free grant money or or awards or a webinar that's being hosted or a program for entrepreneurs that's kicking off that's free. It just always provides great just tips and materials for for founders of color. Thank you. Number two, who is an entrepreneur that you admire and why? 
Ooh, so I'm gonna throw it all the way back to Madam C.J. Walker. Um, yes, <laughs> I I just admire you know the fact that back in the day, through <laughs> the time, the era that she lived in, to become a self-made millionaire, and what she was able to do for her community, just the legacy, the impact that she's left, uh, definitely. I'm claiming, you know, to be the next Madam CJ. <laughs> um, number three, what is a non-negotiable part of your daily routine these days? Ooh, non-negotiable is dinner time with my son. I always want to at least get that time in with him. Um, you know, entrepreneur life, we're working all the time. Mm -hmm. But once he comes home from school and, you know, we have our family time um, and that's our time. And then after that, you know, I'm still back at it. But <laughs> I always want to spend that those couple hours with him. Love it. Um, number four, what is a personal habit that helped you significantly when you were side hustling? Ooh, well, I'm such a planner. So I always just carry around my notebook and I'm one of those like list people. <laughs> so every day I start off with my list. I look at my list from the day before. I make sure like I know what I need to do for the next day in the day looking at that list again and what I need to do for the next day. So I'm just, I'm like always trying to plan out um, those key tasks or even those minuscule tasks that just need to get done. Um, and that just keeps me organized um, and stay ahead. And then finally, what is your parting advice for fellow Black women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss, but are worried about losing a steady paycheck? Because <laughs> I know the feeling. I think you just have to trust your gut, trust your intuition, and really understand your motivation and the why behind why uh, your side hustle and why you're why you're doing what you're doing right because there are going to be so many days where you're questioning why it's so hard and it's exhausting and you're just full of self-doubt but if you clearly know you know your reasons for doing this product or offering your services or whatever it is that you're so passionate about, that that reason, that why will keep you motivated day in, day out. And you won't then be worried about losing that paycheck. I just think you have to have a firm understanding um, of what your motivation is, what is your end goal, and that will help you be comfortable in your decision and be comfortable and motivated on those days when it does get really hard. Absolutely. Cora, where can people connect with you and Young King Hair Care after this episode? Yes. So you can find us on Instagram or Facebook at Young King Hair Care. Um, our products are at www.youngkinghaircare.com. And then you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm Cora Miller. All right, guys. And there you have it. You can find all the notes and resources that Cora mentioned in the show notes for this episode over at sidehustlepro.co slash episodes. Talk to you next week. 
Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other side hustlers just like you to find the show. And if you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Side Hustle Pro. Plus, sign up for my six foot Saturday newsletter at sidehustleproco newsletter. When you sign up, you will receive weekly nuggets from me, including what I'm up to, personal lessons, and my business tip of the week. Again, that's sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter to sign up. Talk to you soon.